Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tribe Call Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! What's up? I'm Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House Podcast. Today I'm joined from Chi Town by. Josh Modell, executive editor. What's up, Elio? Hey, hey, man. Thank you for being our guest on the show. Josh, you have curated a very cool conversation this week. Nico Case with Eric Bachman. Tell me about how this came together. Well, it's almost too easy because Eric and Nico are old friends. And I think all we had to do is say, hey, you guys should talk to each other. And they were (laughs) like, great, let's talk to each other. Nice. It ended up being, as you know, a very intimate, interesting conversation between old friends. They almost ignored the fact that there were mics there and just chatted with each other, which is what makes these kind of conversations great to me. For sure. This talk really takes in life. We hear about work, friends, family, and pets. Lots of pets. Like, I didn't realize Nico Case was almost Dr. Doolittling out there on her farm in Vermont. Uh-huh. But one thing that I didn't know going into this, Josh, is that Eric had actually played with Nico quite a bit and that on her new record, Nico covers one of Eric's songs. Yeah, Eric was in Nico's band as a guitar player for many years. And I think, you know, they got to know each other really well. She sang on one of his records a few years ago, and now I think she loved this song, Sleep All Summer, so much that she asked him to re-record it with her. Gave the ocean what I took from you So one day you could find it in the sand And hold it in your hands again That record is Hell On. It was released just this last summer. And for those who are perhaps unfamiliar, Nico Case came to prominence as a member of the New Pornographers. That's the Canadian indie power pop collective that's also spawned Destroyer and that is led by AC Newman, who's released some fantastic solo records and, of course, joined us here on the podcast in the past. She's gone on to an amazing solo career using varying backing bands over the years. And in 2016, Nico became one-third of the supergroup Case Lang Veers, along with Katie Lang and Laura Veers. Yeah, those are amazing singers. Eric Bachman's an amazing singer in his own right. People probably know him best as the singer-guitarist for Arches of Love, who were, you know, kind of huge part of the indie rock wave in the 90s. He kind of went solo in the early 2000s and has had a long career under the name Crooked Fingers, and then more recently, just putting out records under his own name. You know, Josh, when I first met Eric, I was still touring with Scotland Yard Gospel Choir, my old band, and we were on Bloodshot Records. He was releasing with Bloodshot as well, and we got to play a few shows with Crooked Fingers. Fantastic, fantastic sound. He's an incredible songwriter, and you would never have guessed, I think, from the early Archers of Loaf days, what he would become. He's become kind of this classic songwriter. His new record is called No Recover. It was inspired by the birth of his son, who's about a year and a half old now, and it's very sort of gentle and acoustic and, and also like very dark and weird and fantastic, like everything he's done. Josh, I think that dark, weird, and fantastic is a perfect label for today's talk. These two have a wicked, dark sense of humor, which I absolutely love, and they get into that here, talking about being comfortable enough with one's tour mates and friends to really open up and and maybe even say some fucked up stuff, but we also hear about what Nico calls her spidey senses regarding problematic comedians. Yeah, she talks a bit about being kind of creeped out by Louis C.K. well before these uh, allegations surfaced. Yeah, Nico really picked something up there. 
Josh, one thing that I didn't expect them to get so much into that was really cool for me to hear was the idea of what a duet is and what a duet can be. They talk about duet partners as human shields for songwriters that hate their own voices. Yeah, that part of the conversation was so much fun for me, especially them kind of going through, and I don't want to spoil it, but kind of some of their favorite duet partners over the years and really sparking on the idea of doing more of these things together. I would kickstart that duets record, man. I'll tell you that. They will get a minimum $35 pledge from me. We also hear about Nico's plans for when she retires from touring. And Eric gives a long overdue apology for a very wet tour bus accident. Should we roll it, Josh? Yeah, let's hear it. Hello, Nico. Hi, Eric Bachman. So what, when did you get home? Tell me what's going on. You got a new band. Yeah. It, it's kind of like our band, but then also the addition of Rachel Flotard, who's always in the band anyway, yeah. and kind of in and out. And then, you know, because she's, she's played with me for years. And then uh, my friend Shelly Short, who I think you might have met in Australia, but I'm not sure. I think I have met her, and I, it sounds great. Yeah, because yeah. she was on tour with uh, Darren Hanlon. Okay. And then uh, the bass player is Lex Price, and the guitar player, keyboard player, is uh, Johnny Sankster, who were both in the Case Langveers band. Yeah. And then the total wild card is the drummer Kyle Crane, who I met in Sweden through uh, Björn Jitling. Ah. Uh. Filling in for Dan, because Dan obviously has a little tiny kid, too. Yeah, that's right. He does call me a lot, though, and go, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dan is... Uh, Which is really good. He's a good fella. I, I remember playing in Albuquerque, and then I guess in Tucson... Mm-hmm. I played like on three things, mm-hmm. one of which was the Sleep All Summer song that you had Dan and I track, and then we figured out just how to sing it or whatever. I, I sang it, and then I left it. Mm-hmm. And then about a year later, you played this thing for me, your record, the new record. And I I mean, it's just so amazing to me how tedious your brain is to go from what this chaos in your mind was when it first started. When when I, And again, I just played on three songs. I think I played on uh, the Maritimes song. Oh yeah, Oracle of the Maritimes. Yeah, so I was. Yeah, you kind of you kind of swooped in like a really majestic uh, pterodactyl with your sweet riffs, uh, yeah. and <laughs> and it sa- like it sounds amazing to me. But what did you what did you do? Like you, that song sounds so freaking different than when it was. I mean, not. I mean, it's obviously your 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 voice and the guitar that you're playing is the anchor that holds it all together. But how many tracks do you listen to? How many? Because there's all this stuff happening. And it's not cluttered. So you obviously have all these different things happening. I mean, do you, do you literally just sit there and listen to everything for seven days straight? I without, do. That's insane. I do. And then, and then I edit. And then I, and then I bring things in, pull things back. And I think the song really started to uh, take shape when Joey Burns came in. Because I, I really wanted there to be like an additional kind of bass element that was like a, a big sloshing tank of something. Yeah. And so he came in and did some tracks with the uh, cello and the upright bass. Yeah. And uh, made basically a sectional of strings. Yeah, it sounds amazing, Um, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Joey Burns, you cannot keep him out of a studio. Like, there is nothing he loves more. He's like a kid in a candy shop. So we we tried all kinds of things, and then, so he'll do like five or six tracks, and I'll I'll kind of go through them with a fine tooth comb, and uh, Chris and I will compile them and maybe move something here or there. But right. you know, it's it's really just about getting people that you really like what they do, well, yeah. and then they come in and they do it. Right. 
they uh, spray their majesty all over it, as did you. And then you just you just highlight the things that make you go, oh, what's going on right there? So Joey's parts didn't. There was no arrangement. He didn't write the parts out first. He just kind of improvised. Nah. And, and I'll do a third above this mm-hmm. or a fifth above this, and he just kind of figured out the musicality. Yeah, and then he and then he's like, I think I'm thinking of this piano part. I'm like, okay, cool. Like he'll literally, if you don't stop him, he'll play every single instrument in <laughs> the building yeah, on it, well, which is. Adorable, pretty yeah. much. Like, and his kid and his kids will come in and and out, and we'll play, you know, xylophone with them, and then. <laughs> That's it's just good. another. It's just another day. It's yeah. good. This was all in Tucson when this happened. Is this? That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it sounds great. The record sounds great. I miss playing with you Thank guys. Thank you. I, uh, I we miss playing with you a lot too. We talk about you a lot. Yeah. We yeah. miss you. Well, we always say nice things too. We don't say mean things about you, like. What would we? I don't. I can't even think of one. I can think of one. This is this is my guy. I was raised Catholic, so I have all this this guilt. Is when I spilled coffee mm-hmm, unknowingly. Mm-hmm. I spilled coffee above my bunk, which was above your bunk, and you rolled out in the morning, and I didn't. I hadn't cleaned it up because I didn't know it was there. <laughs> I don't. I did not even remember well, that. Well, it was not very nice so, of me. Well, it wasn't not nice. I was just aloof. I don't. I don't think I was mad at you at the time. So yeah. I think it was one of those, did I pee? No, it was an honest... Am I that asleep? It was an honest accident, but still I felt bad because you don't. nobody wants to roll over in the morning out of their bunk. Yeah, did I Did I take an Ambien trip to the bathroom and not make it? <laughs> what happened to me? Well, I'm sorry about that. But that's other than it's that. It's okay. There's only there's nothing that I can remember where I was too... I didn't transgress too badly. I don't... I think that you only ever did awesome things and play really great yeah. uh, guitar parts and yeah... Do you do you just like rehearse? Are you one of those people that like Katie and Laura are like this? They like to have everything very rehearsed beforehand, and yeah. they like to lay it down as they hear it and as it's written out and as they've rehearsed it and as their demo sound, you know. And then they add people. Yeah. After that, me, I'm more of a like let's smear some of this on it over here, you know. I think I'm more like you to a degree where I don't go into it with a. F- I think if you've made a certain amount of records. And I'm sure it's different for everybody. But you've made a ton of records. I've made a ton of records. And, and when you when you do a do it a bunch, you uh, you don't want to repeat yourself. So I think exactly. I think there are records that I've made. I think early like Archer's days, we just had the band rehearse and the early records, and we were a garage band, and we went in and we tracked it. And it's almost as if overdubs were were not appropriate, and we didn't want to do that. And of course, you get bored with that process. So two records later, you start working the studio as an instrument. Yes. And then at this at this point. I don't go in at all with any preconceived anything. I'll have, this is going to be guitar-based. I'll have some broad stroke that's just like, this is going to be an anchor and everything can kind of go to this. But then you destroy that in the process. And you, and once you get people to play on it, their personality changes everything in a good way, hopefully. And if it's a bad way, you just don't use it or whatever. But It's totally $6 million man. Yeah, we have the technology. We can rebuild him. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you do. But I do think there's a, and I, I can hear this. If, if you have a voice like yours, I feel like there's a, uh, for me, I don't have that kind of voice, but I, I always feel like the perfect version, That there, first of all, there isn't one, but if if what I strive for is the most, simple is not a good word to use because simple is not really, doesn't really exist because none of it's simple, but the most elegant stuff is always the most stripped down. Like the, mm-hmm. like the most beautiful things are just like the human voice and then this well-played thing, whether it be a piano or a guitar or a, a loop or whatever. And I find the older I get, the less that there is on there, the more... I respond to it 20 years later. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I definitely still respond to like really thick 
instrumental parts. Like, my voice, I'm so sick of. Like, I, I don't go back in for that. I'm like, how did that sound? Oh, yeah, th- that part where Garth was playing that note, and then yeah. you could hear his foot on the pedal. Like, that's so beautiful right there. I'm so glad that I got turned up. Weird stuff like that. that. That's problematic, though, in the sense that everybody loves, not everybody, but any intelligent person, lo- they lo- the, your voice is the thing. I mean, your voice is the thing. And so you're not interested in that because it's so indelibly woven into you. You can't hear how elegant it is because it's so part of you. So you've got this thing where people want to just hear your voice. Well, they want to hear all of it, I guess. But you're you're more interested in, in almost the other side of it, like not your voice. You don't even care about your voice almost. Or not, I love the studio as the instrument. Yeah. Always have. Yeah. Which is expensive and stupid. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. probably uh, my downfall. Yeah. But I, I was actually thinking about this the other day, and I was like, maybe I should make a record at home and have it be just really chill. Like, with you, you are obviously this incredibly great guitar player and have a very distinct, beautiful low voice. And low voices are really rare. So yeah, I, I could see why you would want to do that with your own music. Yeah. But, I mean, do you get really sick of your voice? Are you just like, oh, God, there's that guy. Shut him up. I, I, I do. I do. I hate it. I mean, I hate it, and then I don't hate it. I, I, I always feel like uh, I, I never love it, but I feel like uh, I feel like you have to kind of get over the battle. It's almost like you have to lose your, mm-hmm. your ego to, to, to finish it because I, I hate my voice so much. And I'm always, this. They're talking. the guy at the beginning of this interview was talking about duets and all these things, and the whole reason I started writing duets was just so I didn't have to hear my voice the whole song. I mean, it was almost a defense mechanism, you know, and uh, because I just I, I don't like the sound of it. But at the same time, there are things that you want to say, you know, and you, I mean, you have something to say, so you're going to sing it. You want to say it. I don't want anybody else to say it. I'm not going to force another singer to say it. You got to do it, you know. But I don't like the sound yep. of it innately. <laughs> um, so I don't know. So, so you throw other bodies in front of the bullets exactly. is what you're saying. <laughs> in terms of singing, I do. <laughs> I try to, yeah. I try to. Human shields. Human shields. Human shields, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's weird when I listen to older stuff that was done in the 90s and I'm really out of tune. To me, a lot of that stuff is actually more rewarding to listen to than stuff that you labored over and got pitch perfect and you got it right, but it's not. There's something about the... Uh, the urgency. Yeah, just that you don't, you're not... It's, it's yeah. so self... It's not self-aware at all in, in, a, in a way that's that's good for art, you know. I mean, do, when you listen to it, do you still kind of think about it in a way like, you know how when you have a demo you get really excited about? Yeah. And you listen to it over and over again and go, oh, that's going to be a really great song, but it never feels like demoitis, I guess, is what it is. Not that you work really hard to recreate it later, but because you know you can't, but it's like, yeah. well, I guess I'm not going to feel that way about it. But, I mean, that's just you really enjoying the process. So I try not to feel terrible about those moments where I'm like, yeah. yeah, I was pretty married to that, but now I, I can't reproduce that. So I just got to enjoy it for a little bit. And I mean, is that how you kind of feel about those older songs like that? And But you do get to enjoy the demo now? That was my long way around to ask you that question. Yeah, no, I do. I, I actually used to hate those songs, older songs from the nine, uh, the Archer songs. I used to hate them, and now I quite like them, and now I enjoy playing them. Yeah. It's funny because if I play them solo, I play them now, old Archer songs, I play them and they are the way they were kind of written. You know, they're written on the guitar with me singing and then the band made them really interesting with their textures and their weird, you know, atonal stuff or whatever. But the funny thing is, is people will say, well, this new version, this new acoustic version, well, actually the truth of it is, is that's the original version and the band made it cool. The band made it, you know, what what everybody knows is the original version. Uh It's a weird thing 
to listen to anything like that, but I will argue this. In a year, I'll hate him again, and then a year after that, I'll like him again, and then a year after that, I'll hate him again, and then a year after that, I'll like him again. So it's constantly... Yeah, that's just repetition, though. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you got to take a break from your own songs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there are songs I'm not playing on this tour that I'm like, okay, I'll come back to you, and I will like you again, but right now... Mm-hmm. I'd rather focus on this. Yeah. And but so you're you're saying that you hate your voice, but what? I, this is going to kill you. But like, what really good thing would you say about yourself in regards to your music? Be it anything. Like, what compliment could 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 you give yourself with confidence? Oh man, that's a mean question, Nico. I know. I know it's a tough one. Uh, I haven't thought about that at all. So this this question, this answer is going to be. Uh, you could be like, I look really good in those Levi's no. polyester jeans. See, I don't even do that. So, uh, Oh, stop. So the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think, gosh, really good things. I hate, that's just not the way I was raised. I'm not allowed to say that. I'm not allowed to say that. Okay, really. what about, what about, how about the word competent and capable? Yeah, like I, know, if I can you were play. Applying for, just be like, I'm a great lawman. Yeah, I can play and I can. I'm good with a six shooter. Yeah, I'm a good with a, I can play. And I like the fact that when I play, if you play to a click, I'm always a little bit behind, the beat, like millisecond behind the beat. I'm, I'm good at stuff like that. You um, swing I, is what you're saying. Yeah, I got a little grease, a grease on it a little bit when I'm, when I'm at least with my right hand, uh, finger picking stuff. But, uh, and I, I like, I like some songs. There's songs that I don't ever hate that I've written, you know, where I feel like the songs were just, I got it. I kind of got it, you know, for the most part. But, Could you tell me what one of those songs are, or would that just make no. you explode? No, I think I think <laughs> I think uh, it's a seven. <laughs> no, I don't. There's like two of them out of a, out of 150, so it's not. Uh, I feel like Man of War is a pretty good song. I think You Must Build a Fire is a good song. Oh hell yeah! I think those are good songs. I think uh, I think some as far as like punk songs punk songs go. I think Harness and Slums is kind of a nice. It's an Archer song. It's kind of it works, you know. Yep. It's very Joe Strummer kind of, you know, uh, direct, and it, it, it says what it has to say and makes fun of Walmart and all that stuff accurately. Um, so, <laughs> you know, there are songs that I feel proud of for sure, and maybe that's what I should answer your question with. And those some of those songs I just mentioned. That, I'm it. glad to hear that because um, I know that you're a very self-effacing person. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but it, it also makes you incredibly funny. Like, do your audiences know how unbelievably funny you are? Uh that's a again. That's a tough question. I, I don't necessarily believe that I'm that funny. You're like Fox News, man. You're like answering these unreasonable. You're like I'm like a political <laughs> c- pundit, and you're asking me if I going is going to Iraq right or wrong, yes or no. You know, like uh, it's I don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah. Do you sense no, a conspiracy here? No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll come back to that. We'll come back. To we'll that. come back to how funny you are. Yeah. Later. That's just something that I can verify that your friends all agree on. You're one of the funnier people what, here's, here's we've ever known. One of my favorite things about touring with you, and this is this is uh, probably not going to surprise you, uh, is when we did all those comedy podcasts and we did all those comedy things with Eugene Merman. You made my life so much better just by asking me to do the promo stuff because I did. It was me, you, and Hogan. Yeah. When I was in the band, going to all the radio things and doing all the promo stuff, and and you and I would go to these Eugene Merman comedy things and I love comedians so much and I love that you are kind of same connected to that world you're into that world so wonderfully and I just I loved doing that stuff yeah um just to, just to laugh just to see those people do their comedy do their craft or whatever and and uh I just love that stuff and you fit right in like you would just fit right into those podcasts or fit right into those scenarios well thank you I mean it is fun like I I like 
worlds of supposedly separate kinds of entertainment overlapping. Yeah. And, you know, comedians are generally funny because they're, like, the ones that are really funny because they're really smart. Yeah, that's right. And there's something about their comedy that just makes you feel better. Yeah. It's like that day when you're getting over the cold and you finally sweat it out and you're like, oh, God, okay, I'm okay. I feel good now. Like, it's that kind of relief feeling. Yeah, yeah. Which obviously is really important right now. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, and, you know, it's really disappointing that some of the super funny ones are also pretty rapey these days. So that's not really going so good. But um, yeah, the ones that aren't. (laughs) (laughs) The six that are not. No, I don't know. The six people <laughs> yeah. left in the world who are not rapey are uh, yeah. very entertaining. Yes, they are. And they make me feel better. Yeah. Uh, I really brought the dark cloud to that No, one it's okay. I'm, I'm thinking the thought I'm having is we had a, a mild discussion. I wouldn't call it an argument, but maybe four years ago, we had this discussion, maybe five years ago, about Louis C.K. And our, our, mm-hmm. our, we both liked him. We both liked You're like, yeah, he's funny, but he's a little weird. He's a little, and I'm like, yeah, but he's, you know, that, you know, you never know, you don't, you don't have to believe. And then, of course, you were right. And uh, I felt like, I felt like he didn't really like his audience or something. Uh-huh. But then I saw some other stuff later that made me go, okay, maybe I get it now. Uh-huh. But uh, now I, I realize that uh, my spidey senses were accurate, pretty good. Yeah, they were, they were. So yeah, it, it sucks because I mean he's not any less funny no, because that's right. he's rapey, yeah. but. Like, there's everybody knows someone who ends up being that person, and you're like, God, I never saw that coming. And I, I'm pretty spoiled. Like, I mean, I got to give myself a little credit. I think my spidey senses are pretty good. Like, I don't hang out with men who don't think women are completely capable and also worthy of a genuine amount of respect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've been uh, lucky and uh, privileged to work with some of the greatest feminists ever who happen to be guys. So I'm just like, sometimes it comes out of left field and I'm like, they did what? Yeah. How the fuck did they get this far? Yeah. You know, using their penis like a sprinkler. Like what, what are they doing? Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it's this is anyway. It's kind of what I'm talking about though, because the, the culture of Nico Case, the culture of your band, just wouldn't be allowed. It just wouldn't fit. Whether it be Shelly as your sound person or you, I mean, you're just you're just out, man. If you were to be that way, like Raw House, it just wouldn't have it. Like nobody would have it. You know what I mean? It's just the innate culture. Mm-mm. So whatever it is subconsciously that you and the people that you hire are doing. I mean, we're also evil people. Yeah. I mean, we have evil senses of humor. Yeah. That's we true. say horrible things, but maybe that's the key is you just say the horrible things. Yeah, it vents out. To in, people in a, you already know, and I don't know. It vents I mean, out in a legal yeah, way. Yeah, you need an outlet for that kind of evil because everybody's got that kind of evil in them, but at the same time, yeah, I don't mean like sitting around being racist or anything. No, no, no. I mean like making jokes about Hitler piloting a, a space shuttle or yeah. something, well, you know, yeah. harmless, but evil. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think there's a weird thing that happened to our generation where a lot of parents in our generation divorced. Yeah. And uh, a lot of kids just grew up, boys specifically, maybe with just one parent. And I think they just expect things to come to them. Like, um, people, things just come to me. I don't have to go and use manners or my yeah. human skills to do it, stuff just comes to me. So this is massively important in my life right now because I have a 19-month-old son. And, exactly. And his mom and I 
and just, just I hate to put it this way, but we give him what he wants. I mean, he's a, he's a toddler, so you, you want to draw that line. Like, well, sometimes I got to teach this kid he can't have what he wants all the time, and I have to teach this kid to be respectful, and I have to teach this kid to know boundaries. Yeah. And we're doing that. We're trying to do that, but you, you're always wondering, are we doing something wrong? Are we being too lenient in this particular moment? Like if my wife's breastfeeding, and he's trying to be weaned at this point, and yet sometimes she gives in. Is that teaching him, this very thing you're talking about? Is that teaching him, well, I can just get what I want if I just... No, that's dealing with a toddler. I think it is too, but... I think, I think if you let, like, here's a good example. Like, one time I was on a flight, mm-hmm. and the kid behind me, his name was Brayden. I know this because his mom went, Brayden, Brayden. <laughs> that, that is unfortunate. And yeah. she, was, she was bargaining with him like crazy, like... What do you think about sitting down? Could you sit? And then I remember they were horrible people. And as we were getting off the plane, the kid headbutted me in the ass a bunch of times. <laughs> and she was just like, Brayden, where's your yeah. backpack, Brayden? And yeah. he, he's literally headbutting me in the ass and she has no idea. So maybe if you don't let him headbutt people in the ass. Yeah, that's, that's, so far we're good <laughs> You're there. You're probably yeah. going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing. I don't thing. think you guys should worry. Because you don't want to over, like the way a lot of us were raised, and I don't, I don't, I'm certainly not speaking for you, because I know that maybe, you know, what you always tell me I wasn't really raised, but that's a different thing altogether. I, well, I was raised by dogs, so I have a very different... <laughs> right, um, right, right, right. Yeah. But you can, the fear of over-disciplining or, or over, like my mom, God bless, I love her to death, but she's always like, well, you know, you got you to gotta smack their hand a little bit. It's like, I don't have to do shit. I'm not going to smack my son's hand. I'm 6'6", 250 pounds. I'm not going to hit anything. You know, I'm not, I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what I should do, you know? But maybe she's right because that's what she did to me, and I feel like I turned out okay. So it's a weird balancing act of what do you do to keep people from growing up to, not even as severely as what we were talking about earlier, where they transgress legally, but even just to be an asshole. You know, you want to grow up to be mindful of other people's space and 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 boundaries and what have you. So I, I think about that sometimes because I have a stepdaughter now too, and she's yep. she's really well behaved. You know, she. She's just a sweet kid, and she's really polite and stuff, and I had nothing to do with that. Yeah. Well, Jeff is— <laughs> But I think yeah. I think she had a lot of people around her. Yeah. It's kind of like reinforcement of good behavior by a bunch of different people. It's like the culture that— Not yeah. just you and Liz. Yeah, like right. if, if you're hanging out with friends and exposing them to people who, you know, aren't afraid of little kids who won't— Right. Who'd be like, hey, that's not very nice. Like, please don't headbutt me in the ass, you know? <laughs> right, like, right. hey, that's, yeah, that that's not going to fly, the headbutting. Yeah. But I, I think it's finding people that they respect and the people that they respect and love also kind of yeah. reinforcing the the good behavior mostly. And then the, you know, yeah, don't headbutt me in the ass. Like, not a, hey, could you please stop? Yeah. It's like, don't headbutt me in the ass. Yeah. So you, well, It's not child abuse to go... Don't headbutt me in the yeah. ass, and I'm serious. Yeah. Don't do that. That's not okay. The consequence is now you don't get any ice cream. Sorry, buddy. I'd stuff him in a plastic bag and uh, <laughs> yeah. use one of those dehydrators to take yeah. the air out, yeah. and then I would transport him. Yeah. Sell him on the Chinese black market. And I, I would rehydrate the child when I arrived at my destination. I like this. You should write a book, Child Rearing by Nico Case. I intend to. Yeah. Parenting. Yeah. I, yeah, I just get to be Captain Good Times <laughs> in my situation, <laughs> so... I'm like the I'm just like a stepdad. Yeah. Hey, want to go to the carnival? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just try not to say fuck too much. There's a lot of energy in Jeff, and I'm assuming Jeff is who we're referring to, Jeff's daughter. 
Yes, I haven't. I haven't changed uh, partners yeah. and children. Well, good. <laughs> well, he's his energy's so quiet and calm, and and uh, and he listens so well. He just listens so yeah. well. There were so many times, and I, I have a problem with that sometimes, where I get so uh, my brain gets so activated, and I that I just kind of move forward. And Jeff was so good at me with me. He would he would say like I'd have a string that was a little like my B strings a little flat to the rest of the guitar or something, and he would try to explain to me what, how I could fix it. And I thought I'd. I was just thinking of ways of my own, and he would just wait for me to finish, you know. And then he would say something I hadn't even thought of. He does listen. <laughs> it's He's so, good. So good. Man. Like, thank you, Jeff. And of course, I went home and did exactly what he said, and it fixed it, you know. He's too good for me, as is the kid. And I, you know, the other shoe will drop one of these days. But I don't know if that's true. There's true. something in me they enjoy, so I'll just keep going with it, I guess. You're selling yourself too short there. What do you got coming up? Are you going to be going crazy touring going again? Going to Europe. Okay. Going to Europe, uh, touring for the rest of the year. I'm going to record with Carl next week with the new pornographers. Nice. So he's coming to my space. Okay, good. And we're going to do that. Jeff's going to engineer. It's going to be really fun. Excellent. I just saw Carl day before yesterday. So and this is all new, s- new songs. Nice. Yep. So are you write? Do you write? Yeah, songs? he's one of those people that can write songs. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. I don't. I I wrote a couple with him for my record, but we've never written together for the new pornographers. Okay. He writes them. Yeah. Okay. He, he and Dan do. I don't know if Dan's writing any for this record or not. I can't remember. Right. He's busy, Like, I'm sure. he literally called me last week and was like, hey, uh, got some new songs. You want to sing on them? And that's about as far as we've gotten. <laughs> right. Well, I'm sure you'll <laughs> But it never scares me because we've always done it that way. So Yeah, you trust him. Yeah. It's he's, good. He's it's good, good. Yeah. And what are you doing? Are you continuing to tour? I, I am. I'm going to do some more solo shows. I'm going out west with a band in uh, January, February out west, and then... I think, you know, next year, I'm trying to work on new Archer stuff. It's not going very well. And I'm trying to work on my own new stuff. And then also, my wife and I just bought 18 acres of land in the the, the mountains of North Georgia. Wow. So we're we're trying to design this house and have a friend, this guy, Jane Akashi, who's this brilliant, he's a musician as well, and he was in Empire State, and he was in the very first incarnation of Crooked Fingers in 1999. Uh-huh. And I've just stayed in touch with him because he's just such a brilliant guy, and He's a big-time house designer in Athens, and, and we're going to try and get him to uh, design the house. Not build it, per se, but design the house. So that's, a, obviously, I'm just just saying that alone is just like, oh, boy, that's a lot of work. So I'm going to write and do all that stuff, but I'm also going to be focusing on that for a little bit. So I'm not sure how much touring I'm going to do end of the year. Hopefully some. i got to keep, keep in shape and everything, but. Yeah. When I look back, I don't know if you're, I'm sure you do this. You look back and you're like, how did all those things ever get done? Yeah, they seemed so like it was just a red light flashing at the time. Yep. And just scary. Yeah. In a am I am I going to screw this all up not making the deadline style? <laughs> well, you you know, I, I have a this is maybe a, the, the, your house. So your house burned. Yes, it did. While you were in Sweden mixing this uh-huh, record that uh-huh. you just put out a few months ago. Raw House told me a little bit about what you're doing. So are you, the whole thing burned? The new stuff burned? Like, what, what are you doing to repair it? Like, what's going on? Well, right now it's kind of like scraping away. Well, we scraped away the toxic debris. Uh-huh. Um, the char. And now we are just trying to figure out what to do, really. Okay. Basically, like, I've spent all of a month in Vermont since. Right, because you've been so busy. Probably April 15th. And that's been in chunks. So I haven't really been able to take care of it, to be honest with you. So winter's coming in Vermont. 
Not to go all game. Yeah, it actually is snowing right now, the first day. So is your house secure? I mean, you're going to stay warm. You've got part of it's salvaged, part of it's okay. Is that is that right? Or it's buttoned up. Okay. Buttoned up. That's yeah. a pro pro term yeah. I like to use. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a good I one. I just like to throw it out there. Yeah, it's a good one. I don't miss any of it. Hmm. Like, I was just so glad everybody was okay. Yeah, of course. The only thing I regret is there's some photos from when I was a kid that got burned up. Oh, no. But all my instruments and stuff were at the practice space, so, so those were all fine. Where was Norman? Norman was in upstate New York. Okay. He's a horse. Norman's a uh, horse. Yeah, he's a horse. He was in upstate New York. Anyway, because I was leaving for such a long time, I thought he would be better off at Diane's hanging out. And I found another horse to be his buddy because he was really resistant to other horses. So now he has a buddy, and he's happier than he's ever been. So I'm just figuring out what to— Like, I'm going to have to move somewhere with space for a horse. Yeah. But now two because now there's Grady Boone and uh, Norman— who are thick as thieves, and uh, okay. you know, I got dogs and cats, and yes, you do chickens. The whole nine. Yeah, my chickens got eaten by a fox because the dogs weren't home. The oh, dogs okay. were with somebody being watched, and you know, the the foxes get real bold when there's no dogs around. Mm-hmm. This is the world we were born into, unfortunately. Mm, cycle of life. Yep. So you can't even be mad at them. No, that's right. They're really good at controlling rodents. That's right. That's what they do. And you can't be mad mm-hmm. at them for doing what they do. And so you're thinking about moving. You're thinking about getting a new space. Yeah, I, I, I don't even have the final, like, insurance thing. <laughs> it takes a long time. And, you know, honestly, what's going on with all the flooding in the country? Yeah. You know, since last year, like, Houston. And my house burned down right as uh, Puerto Rico was underwater. Right. I was like, I'm pretty lucky. Yeah. Which probably has a lot to do with why I just, I don't even care. Yeah. Like some people lost everything as in people they loved. Yeah, the whole family. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Stuff doesn't so. matter that much. Even these pictures you're bummed out about it, you can you can get over that more than say if you lost a loved one. That's right. And you must like having a toddler, do you just have concepts of danger that you never ever considered in your life? So yeah, I mean it's that's the sad thing about having a kid for me, and, and obviously nothing's sad. This is this is just a colloquialism, but you have this unconditional love and all these things. Oh, you've never know, you don't know what love is and all this stuff that you hear. And I guess that's true. But what you don't understand before you have a child is is the anxiety. I have right. two or three dreams a night where he's falling off of a, of a skyscraper and getting impaled on a fence. Like I have these terrible dreams of something bad happening to him constantly. Now I'm a little weird perhaps, but I don't know if all parents feel that stuff, but the anxiety you feel, you, you you sort of start to really understand the marketing tool of fear. Like you see why news broadcasters and, and news channels and stupid products you don't really need use fear as a, as a selling weapon, you know, uh-huh. to get you to buy their products or whatever, to buy into whatever it is they're saying, because you understand it when you have a kid more than you've ever understood it. Um, now, I'm not taking that every day to them or whatever thing. We, we have a great time and it's not a problem or whatever, but you do, it really informs the way you write. It really informs the way you think about the world. It really, and you really have to kind of catch yourself and stay, to stay positive, to stay, to, to, to believe that the world is inherently good. Of course, the world is inherently whatever it is. It's neither good or bad, but it's, you gotta, you gotta fight uh-huh. to keep from falling down this wormhole of dark anxiety, you know? Yeah. And so far, it's been fine, and he's so sturdy. Like, he falls 70 times a day, and he just gets up and 
Cowboy Small rides again. He's got a little book, you know, and he just brushes himself off and he's bleeding out of his lip and he's like, let's go, man. I don't give a shit. Let's go. You know, he's all, he's all boy. You know, he's very tough little dude. So, uh, you know, we got lucky that way because his mom and dad are such pansies that way, but he's so uh-huh. tough, you know. So, yeah, anxiety has, has risen 300% in my household. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think with, uh, <clears throat> my stepdaughter, I'm I'm trying to hold that off. Like, once mm-hmm. once I have a place to live again, maybe I'll let myself fully give into the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Because you know, I I do worry about her, and yeah. like if if I hear that somebody was mean to her at school, like I w- I literally want to beat up a little child. Oh so man! Oh man! I kind of got to adjust my gauges. Like, mm-hmm. don't beat up any children because she can handle it herself. <laughs> I've always wanted to ask you this: What do you want to do? When you retire from music, what kind of art are you going to make? I, I have a, a real problem deciding because ideas make other ideas. And I have notebooks full of ideas. Mm-hmm. And I want to make everything. I don't even know where I would start. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to write a book. I've been working on writing things for a long time. So staying home and writing a book sounds really fun to me. Because I, I also just want to be in Vermont for an entire year and just watch the seasons go by. Because yeah. every time I spend any amount of time at home, seeing the progression of nature throughout the year is really fascinating to me. Um, yeah. Be it, you know, when all the, the little skipjack uh, butterflies come out or when the milkweed blooms or whatever, you yeah. know. Just really boring, uh, stamp-collecting adult-type shit that... I really get off on and makes me feel a lot more secure with my place in the world. And I like being reminded that nature is way stronger than human beings because like, like you were saying about using the, the fear factor uh-huh. to, to get people to fall in line with things like, Oh man, the course of nature erases that shit. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Which that's, is so good. If you're going to be afraid of something, that shit's real. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah be, af- right. be afraid of a bear that's in your house. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, you can know that it's not personal. That's and right. And that actually helps a lot. It like when my lot. house burned down, I was like, well, nature isn't mad at me. Yeah. It just, just happened to be a really good situation for, yeah. I mean, I, I basically had a, a old barn full of hay and, yep. you know, petroleum. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> that's what happens. Of course it burned down. That's what happens. Yeah, so it's way easier to accept things. Well, the, the reason I ask, because we're both 48. Sorry to do that to you. We're both 48. Oh, I'm proud. We're both the same. Yeah, me too. Um, I like getting older. But uh, the business of music is a real boring, tedious thing. Now, making it's a joy, or at least it's a, it's a requirement. It's, it's a, com- a compulsion or whatever. You, you do it because you feel like. And I, I always kind of related to you with this, like where you've done it since the 90s. You've been doing it your whole life as an adult, you know, and then, and then you want to feel like what you do. So you said you want to write a book and that's the thing you landed on the, 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 the most. What do you feel like you would be compelled to write about? What do you think? Would it be a book of fiction? Would it be a work of nonfiction? Like what kind of book would you think you would write? Not that I'm pinning you to it anything. Would, I think it would be weird stories and some things factual, some not. Like I, I have an idea for a book of fiction that I wanted to write, but then I also wanted to write about being in a band and playing music or just playing music. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. not like... Not in a biography way, right. not in a fact-finding way, but more in like, what are the places that seem electric in a 12-hour day uh-huh. of being on the road? Right. Like, there's so much tedium. Yeah, there sure is. And yeah. this is one thing you're really great at that I think has made you 
hang out in music so long is like you don't let the time of waiting around for shit to happen bum you out. Like I remember you going out to your van and studying Cantonese yeah, at one right. point. You yeah. were te- you were trying to learn an Asian language. You know, you just you have a hungry brain. You're a smart person and it, it's a really great skill to have. Like that's what will keep you in music forever is knowing that there are like 900 alternatives to those tedious parts where it's like, well, we have five yeah. hours until sound check and you know, we're basically in a concrete bunker and it's snowing <laughs> yeah. out. Like we, we literally cannot go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. There are days when you get invited to, to go visit like, you know, the launch site in Houston or whatever. Right. But those days aren't, those are like once every two weeks, which is great. But at the same time, it's not enough. The tedium is real. Yeah. It's not enough to fill that gap, fill those gaps. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. having a project or several on tour is a really important thing, and it's just good for your brain. It sure is. I, I, are you? Uh, are you still? Because you read. I've never met anybody read more voraciously than you. You've bought me like three books as gifts. Are you still reading at that pace? Are you still just going crazy on tour reading? Yes, I haven't been reading on tour though. Okay. I've like you know during the day I'll read some stuff, but before. The shows have been kind of so physical for me that I, I've been, uh-huh. you know, kind of more into winding down, talking to everybody at the end of the night, and then just falling asleep. Right. But then again, you know, I take sleeping pills because I, I, I'm a rapid cycler, mm-hmm. and that's one reason that I read so much is because I would be up until six in the morning reading a book because my brain could not wind down. So. Sometimes I just put on cartoons that I've already seen and <laughs> yeah. I fall asleep, which is great because Absolutely. the cartoons take you to a place that's kind of happy, you know, uh-huh. and uh, they're not dark places and, and you fall asleep. But, you know, I, I had to start like this is terrible to say, but, you know, I had to start taking sleeping pills because it was just really affecting my health really badly that I couldn't sleep because it was so wound up. I remember that to some degree. See, you know, I thought I, I, I misread this because I remember when I first started touring with you, I thought this was this was so genius of the way you would do this, because the problem people don't understand, and, and listeners out there, you know, I can I can vouch for this person. This this person is very kind and very and very wonderful. Nico is, but she doesn't want to talk to anybody probably after singing for two hours straight. Talking is the worst thing for a singer before and after playing. You just can't. You can't sing night after night after night and have to talk to people afterwards. You just can't do it. And one thing I used to love about your your daily routine, not that you had a routine, but we would finish playing and you were gone and you would go to the hotel. Tell me if I'm wrong about this, but you'd go to the hotel and work out after playing. And then you'd come yeah, on the bus depending, after. depending. And because you that, that killed two birds. One, you were doing something physically active to keep your endorphins up so you didn't get depressed. And two, you were avoiding having to talk with all these people that love you. Not that you don't love them back, but it's like you can't do it and say you can't do it, you know? And I was like, man, that's the smartest, nah. that's the smartest thing in the world that she's doing. And I'm wondering if you're still doing that. Um, I don't really do it as much. Um, I've been trying to kind of do that earlier in the day. Okay. And then I, I've been trying to see people that I haven't gotten to see in a long time. Okay. Um traveling around, which has been really nice. Like, I, I kind of, I'm a little less anxious than I was. Mm-hmm. And so running into people or like having a quick bite with someone isn't as hard as it was. There's just so many ways to disappoint people who love you. Oh my God. On tour, because people don't understand like, 
like, let's say I worked at, at Five Guys. Like, obviously, if there was a big rush of people, I wouldn't be able to, like, talk to somebody in between taking people's orders. That's correct. For eight hours. Yep. You know what I mean? I or, do. you know, if I if I worked in a, an insurance office, people couldn't just come in and, like, hang out with me right. and get, like, the really deep hang that we really <laughs> should have because right. we are close and love each other. So the ways to disappoint people are just endless. Yeah. And... Another way to disappoint people is, like, people are like, why, how come you don't come out and sell your merch and talk to the audience anymore? It's like, well, I love doing that, and I do love talking to people who came to the show, but I lose my voice if I do that. Because in those situations, no, you can't do it because you, you are talking over other people talking, and it's like a range that is really difficult to maintain. Yeah. It's harder to maintain than singing because it's all head voice. Yep. And so... Yeah, it's hard. And like, (laughs) that's one thing Twitter has been great for is because I really missed talking to people who'd come to the show because, you know, we didn't really talk about me. We just talked about random stuff or I'd ask them questions about the town we were in because I really love learning about people's towns. Yeah. So now we can go back to talking about where to get really good cherry jam or you know, what kind of chickens uh, are good for this climate or, you know, just random stuff that it's regular human beings talk about. Genuinely it's, interesting, yeah. To it's you, yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just being a human. That's right. So, yeah, I really miss that, but I'm glad Twitter kind of makes that more possible. Yeah, I'm trying to get better about Twitter. I'm not I'm not too good about it. I just post, like, show dates and stuff, but you're actually good at uh, communicating with people. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, go fuck yourself, you hateful shrew. Sometimes they deserve that. It's okay. Sometimes um, they do deserve it, yeah. but what do you do? You know, I was leaving your touring band when you were starting to make a new record. And so I didn't really get to see that process, but I just know it's exhausting. I know it's rewarding too, but I know it's exhausting. And I think, gosh, she's she's same age as me. She's been doing it just as long as me. She must be interested in making something else besides a record album, an album, you know? It's like, it must be, you must- All the time. You know, so I'm just wondering what- But then your house burns down and you're like, kind of got to keep <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. doing this because it's my, ju- like, yeah, this is what I pays can't, the bills. like, I love making soup, for example. I could work in a restaurant making soup and be perfectly happy, but I can't employ yeah. 25 other people. That's like, right. 25 other people depend on you. Your economy shrinks tremendously. And that's a yeah. big weight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it you know, is. yeah, not well, in a bad way, like in a in a good like. You're like, yeah, we've managed to maintain a mini economy inside this larger economy, and absolutely, you know, we're not working for the man. No, we're that's actually right. trying to bring joy and understanding and compassion and relief and you know a back and forth with people, like connecting the human circuit with a lot of people at one time, which is the most amazing feeling in the world. It's the best it's thing. It's like harmony yeah. singing. Yeah, it's it the is best the thing. best feeling. It's the best feeling in the world. It's, yeah. There's a lot of weird mythology in the world of music. Like, well, if you don't put out a record every two years, people are going to forget you. No, they're not <laughs> going to forget you. Like, if somebody's <laughs> fickle enough that they don't remember that they like your music two years later, like, they're not that into music. Yeah, that's right. It has nothing to do with you and... You know, if you're making it for the right, like if you're making it to be famous, yeah, maybe, but we don't exist in that kind of world, thank God. Oh, the things you're told when you're a young rocker. <laughs> it's so, oh, so yes. much misinformation. Yeah, you got to do this. You're so lucky to be here. That's you, my that's my favorite. Yeah. Well, this is a great opportunity for you. Oh. Which sometimes it is. Oh, but sure. More sure. likely, usually this is a great opportunity for you when they're trying to make you stop talking about something means... We don't really want to give you any money. Yeah, that's right. Oh, the mythology. Yep. 
so you're gonna uh, you're gonna keep trucking, then you're gonna just keep making records. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there, there's a couple projects I want to do um, mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. They they don't have exact shapes to them yet. Um, I would totally make a duets record with you. Yeah, I'd do that. But I would get sick of my own voice on it, and I'd probably end up going, why do we need my voice on this? It could no. just be Eric Bachman that's the That's the kind of thing that has to happen in a way that's... Uh, We'd have to fall into it. We'd have to fall into it, and just kind of, it would take five years, and like, oh, I send you this, and you send me that, this kind of thing, you know? It's the kind of thing where you can't just, mm-hmm. we're going to do this, because then it's just, we're both, you're busy, and... Uh, I know that there's a world mm-hmm. that can do that stuff, but I don't think either. Maybe you do, but I just don't work like that. I suspect that you don't as well. But I don't either. I like to sometimes give myself a challenge like, okay, you can only use this to make this. Right. Like that just gets you to push the idea. Yeah. Or like we could set it up like, oh, well, John Rawhouse is going to engineer all the vocals that we do together. So we'll go to John's for the weekend or right, something. Right, right. Uh, yeah. And basically end up hanging out and belly laughing the whole time. Yeah. Belly laughs make great music. Like this whole being bummed out making great music thing is a total lie. Yeah, you don't you don't get very far. You're just squirming in the sand because you're depressed. <laughs> you don't get anything done if you're really depressed. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, you just pick at sores on your head and yep. think you're a failure. Whereas belly laughing, yeah, your sense of mission it, it stays pretty strong. Yeah, you wake up ready to go because you're not bummed out. Exactly. Well, I, I, the seed is planted. I don't, I don't know who, if they planted it in our heads or whatever, but I like the idea of doing something like that. Like, we could make a, a 45 of duets, even. Yeah, we could make one more song. We you could, know what yeah, I mean? I do, I do, I do, I do. Limited edition. Yeah. Like, we could totally do that. You Because remember, you could used to be able to fit, like, five songs on a 45, and yeah. it'd be a little EP. And What are your favorite duets? Like, when you think about, you know, everything from, like, the old Mary Ford, Les Paul, so that's not really singing duets, I guess, but when you think about all the duets that were ever, what comes to mind for you first? Like, boom, this is what I think of as the classic duets. Uh, I like the kind of Mickey and Sylvia stuff. Oh, yeah. I like um, Richard and Linda Thompson a lot. All that stuff's ridiculously good. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that aren't really duets. They're more like harmony singing mm-hmm. with each other. Like, I loved the Carter family stuff oh, because it was so strange. And I loved that they never change the gender pronouns. So mm-hmm. Sarah Carter would be singing about her girl. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, I love uh, Hazel Dickens and Alice Gerard. Oh, man, yeah. Those are some of my favorites. You're going, you're going deep. That sounds great. That stuff's great. Yeah. Going deep. And and I, maybe the ultimate is like Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Oh, yeah. Like, those are just gross. Those are so beautiful. They're so good. It's yeah. like, it, does, it just doesn't get better than this, no. you know? Yeah, even as... Uh, as sort of the production value on some of this that, that I'm about to say is a little bit slick, that Donny Hathaway, uh, Roberta Flack stuff, it's very... Oh. But those, if you're going to talk about like... So good. That stuff's amazing to me. His voice was so amazing. And then knowing his story and everything, it's just so sad. And how she couldn't really help him. Yeah. You know, just a sad... I think the story enhances the mythology of it, but it's just so sad, you know? Any Sammy Davis Jr. duet with anybody ever... Yeah. ...is always great. Yeah. I always... Felt very influenced, uh, n- not intentionally really. It was almost after the fact, but and I don't necessarily like the topics that they sing about, but just the the fact that you mentioned their duets without being duets, it's more like harmony singing. Is the Lee Hazelwood Nancy Sinatra stuff? Oh my god, so good. When they get weird, I like all of it, but he, he's such a weird guy, you know. Totally weird. That uh, that always worked well for me, and in fact, Sleep All Summer was kind of. 
me trying to write this sort of pop song that they never wrote. That was kind of my thinking when I tried to start finishing that song because it wrote very weirdly. It took forever to write it, you know. It's too good, though. Well, Like, Nancy and Lee are some of my favorites sound-wise, but they don't make me cry. That song I had to pull my car over and cry the first time I heard it. It's too uh, it's too self-aware or something. It's like, we're going to be weird. Let's get weird. And they get weird. And it's like, it's cool. I like that you're weird, but you're not. It's like Lee Hazelwood was always writing a weird Western yeah, every exactly. single time. It was always very stylized. Like, is he really like that by himself in his room when he's depressed? Is he really... Is that how he thinks? And there was always some like creepy, like leaving my seed kind of thing going on. And you're like, it's kind of weird. He's weird. And Nancy was like some virgin witch in those. Yeah. Yeah. Like she was always some sort of spirit or physically attainable. uh, I don't know what. Just the, it was just the weirdest dynamic ever. Yeah. It was a weird dynamic. But it totally worked. It did. Having an entire orchestra behind you. Probably makes a lot of things yeah. sound pretty awesome, though. Yeah, it does. And he was a good arranger, and he wrote uh, good changes and things. The chord changes were cool, and the, you know the way things came in. His voice was always so yeah. loud. When you listen to, you know, sorry for the things I said, his voice is so loud. You can never try to make a record and try to get the vocal sound right and have his mixes because his voice is mixed so loud on those records. His voice is mixed yeah. so loud. But, you know, it sounds great. Yeah, I use those recordings a lot to try to, like, they're the ultimate in trying to get your stereo to sound really great if you're going for, like, the analog 70s right. um, stoner dad setup. That's right. The low end on those records is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. There's something about it that literally smooths you out. Yep. Like, I'm sure there are scientific ways to explain it. The frequencies, you know, the levels, the the distortion, everything. Yeah. But they they nail it. It's kind of like Steve Miller records do that to me too. Yeah, it's almost like the low, the bass drum and the bass guitar, everything that they just hit the tape so goddamn hard that that tape compression sound just makes it become one massive beautiful exactly f- f- and swap. You know, I can't get enough of it to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, it's a great sound. It's a great thing, and it's hard to. Well, I mean, you just gotta spend the money and do it these days, but but nobody does anymore because mm-hmm. now it's so expensive and yeah. Thanks to streaming, there's no advances anymore. So yeah. Yeah, like, how are young people going to make records anymore? They're going to make I don't even know how I'm going to make a record again. Like, literally, I don't know. Yeah. If I ever use drums, proper drums, I always just go to a place that, and I think you do the same thing. Like, you did did it with Craig. Yeah, I I always want analog bass and drums. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you're doing it. You know, if you you love those really beautiful sounds that smooth you out as a human being, it's kind of a necessity. I mean, you don't have to, but I, it, I can hear the difference. Yeah, you need to. You do it, and it, you can you can hear it, and it just yeah, it's just everything sits real nice on it. I mean, we're probably preaching to converted everybody that would listen to this. Would be like, yeah, of course, you know. But uh, well, I mean, it's not analog over digi- digital. It's an analog married to digital yeah. that makes things a cheaper, b yeah, easier to deal with. Yep. Like I. I can't splice tape, so. Yeah, that's right, that's right. You know. It's a lot easier, it's a lot easier to just cut and paste that thing. Yeah, that's right. Get somebody to do it. Yeah, like, I don't really have those skills, which is weird because I actually used to do that as one of my jobs. I used to splice tape. Where were you working? For a company. I, I worked at this company called Broadcast Supply West in Tacoma, Washington, and what we would do is we would take carts, which are the their eight-track tapes uh-huh. um, that are like 15 to 30 seconds to 45 seconds long, 
And radio stations would use them to record commercials on. Like, that's how they used to play commercials, is they would put a cart in of a certain commercial and then play it and then pull it out. So they would send us ones that were really beat up, and we would clean them and re-splice new tape into them, you know, glue little pads back on to the little feet that push the tape onto the heads. And it was the weirdest job of all time. (laughs) I love that you did that. (laughs) But I think it was literally the last window into that kind of technology kind of job you could have. So I'm glad I had it. The very end of an era. It was hell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, literally the very end. Yeah, wow. Let's go full light. How how's uh, how are all the animals? I don't even know what animals you have. How's, Mar- how's Marty the cat? Well, Marty's dead. Okay, there so. you go. There you go. That's a good. That's a good way to. <laughs> that's a terrible. It's terrible to laugh about it, but no, okay. Marty a, uh, was killed by some sort of predator, like a fox, maybe. Uh, I'm thinking a fisher cat, maybe, okay. or a coyote, because he definitely wasn't. He was a little bit too savvy for a fox. Okay, like he he definitely had it going on. But I think that he let it let his guard down a bit because he is not afraid of canine right. creatures. Like he knew what coyotes were, but the dogs weren't home. So okay. the the predators on the outskirts kind of started moving into the territory a little bit, little by little. So okay. he he died as he lived, which was the happiest creature on earth, so. Yeah, it's like you said earlier, you, you can't be mad at things for doing what they do. That's what kind You can't be yeah. mad at things for doing what they do, but I do miss him every day. Yeah. Like, he he was the jolliest creature. Yeah. He was Captain Good Times yeah. at my house. Morty and like I. Like, I always, I always would say, if I had, if if I could choose any other life but my own, I would, I'd, we definitely. <laughs> choose Marty's, yeah. Always went, for, like, Nate and I were definitely, we're always like, yeah, Marty, yeah. for sure. Well, Marty was very sweet to me when I would visit. I know that when I was there. Little guy always had his lighter in the air. Yeah, yep, yep. He was always swaying to Freebird his whole life. <laughs> but uh, the other two kitties are great. Good. And uh, the dogs are great. Good. Chicken's not so great. They're all expired. But they fed the foxes. Yeah. Who will in turn eat the white-footed mice, which spread Lyme disease. So I'm going to just be like, okay. Yeah. You win this one, uh, but I'm gonna you, have, I'm gonna have to let the dogs get a lot closer to the chicken coop. You're gonna buy another farm, obviously. You're gonna have to get another farm if you're gonna move because you got the horses and you get all these dogs and you've got yeah. Cat, like I yeah. just need it. I need a sp- and I I want to live near the forest. Like I'm a forest mountain person. Yeah, that's what makes me happy. There you go. Um, lots of people like to live near the ocean. I'm a forest mountain person who likes to live up high and walk around on spongy pine needles. Right. Perfect. And get get my hands in dirt. I love that. You should you should. We're not built yet, but you should come to Georgia. See our. We got lots of space. We haven't built anything yet. I would love to do that. Yeah, get away and write. I'm I'm willing. Get away and just bring your bring your critters and 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 chill out and write for a month. We're gonna have little cabins on our property. We're gonna build small little things and. Are you making a writer's retreat? I think so. Sort of. I think we're working on. It. It's gonna take us five years to do it, but I think we're gonna do this. I think it's a great idea. We, we got the land pretty inexpensively and. Uh, we got our excavator ready. This guy Jeff Lanier, he's gonna. We've got all this stuff kind of worked out, and he's been working in that part of the world forever. And so, yeah, I mean, we've, that's we've, awesome. it's gonna be good. So, anyway, you would be welcome to well, come. That's what I what I wanted a farm for too. Is that so there would be room for people to come over? And I know the benefits of like being out in the country. I wanted other people to. I wanted to share it. Yeah. Like I've I've always just wanted to have a place where lots of people could come, and yeah. if they wanted to go out in the woods and like 
look at pine needles or mushrooms, yeah. they could do that. Or and just work. It, it t- it's like a giant lung that just cleans all your blood out. Absolutely. It's wonderful. Absolutely. And you can get work, get a lot of work done when there's no no crap bombarding. I mean, you'd have access to, to cell phone stuff or whatever you would because it's there, but you can, you can turn it off and you can just focus yeah. on your work and focus on stuff in your mind, not stuff that yeah, cl- clutters and, your you mind. Yeah, and, you know, watching, watching an apple tree go from being completely bare to having leaves to having— yeah. Flowers to having oh, man. entire ecosystems of species living in it, and the different kind of birds. Like just one thing can just totally yeah. change your life and give you this kind of peace yeah. that is a really excited peace, mm-hmm. a really curious kind of peace. Which is, I don't know, that's my favorite. Inspired peace, yeah. Nourishing peace. How gross does that sound? <laughs> it sounds... That's the grossest thing I've ever said. A little said. new agey. It's a nourishing piece. It sounds a little little uh, new agey, but that's all right. It's it's okay to feel. <laughs> it's all right. I think it's good. I just puked in my own mouth. <laughs> the Nico Case Eric Bachman duets record scored by Vangelis coming soon. Oh, if only. <laughs> that was a fantastic conversation. Nico, Eric, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Always great to hear both of your voices. Nico's side of the conversation was recorded by Jody Peterson at Cliff House Audio in Montpelier, Vermont. And Eric's was recorded at his home by Joel Hatstad. Our producer is Mark Yoshizumi. The Talkhouse podcast theme song was composed and performed by The Range. Subscribe to the Talkhouse podcast on any of your favorite podcast subscription thingies uh, and find us on all your socials, Facebook, Instagram, and talkhouse.com. I will say we have some very, very cool conversations coming up, including the one and only Jeff Tweedy of Wilco in conversation with Abby Jacobson that was live here in Brooklyn, Tom Berlin with David Bazan, and Namdi Ogbanaya with Tierra Wack. Until next time, I'm Ellie Einhorn. I'm Josh Modell. Peace.